After NHLers sat out the Winter Olympics in South Korea four years ago, there was a lot of hype surrounding their return next month in Beijing. But rising COVID-19 cases in the league and the postponement of games forced the league and the Players Association to pull the plug on professionals' Olympic plans. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Post-media national sports writer Rob Longley joins me to discuss how big a blow this is for the games, what it means for the hockey tournament itself, and how big a shadow Omicron is casting over these Olympics. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Rob, hockey fans, especially in Canada, were excited at the prospect of NHLers returning to Olympic ice after sitting out Korea in 2018. While not taking anything away from athletes who were going in their place to China, how big a blow is it that we won't see the biggest names in hockey in Beijing? Well, Dave, for Canadian fans especially, you know, it's, it is a huge blow. I don't think there's any way to sugarcoat it otherwise. There's some that will say that uh, having the professionals at the Olympics sort of takes away from the purity of the whole Olympic concept. But, I mean, it's been such a big success when you've had the NHLers there and then, and, and in the summer, uh, the NBA Dream Teams. It, it just takes the tournament to a next level. And, I mean, the Olympics are supposed to be best on best, so... If you don't have the uh, top NHL players there, then you're not literally not getting best on best. And also, I mean, I was fortunate enough to, to cover both of the last two Winter Olympics in Sochi and, and South Korea. And the difference in the hockey tournaments there were so vast, really. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you had the NHLers there in 2014. The Canadian team, of course, won a gold medal. And in 2018, it sometimes it was almost unwatchable when you compared it with what you'd seen in previous years. So. Yeah, not having the uh, the Olympians uh, in China is going to be a, a huge blow to the hockey tournament, and it'll make it a completely different experience for fans watching from all over the world. Why ultimately did it become untenable for the NHL and the NHLPA to go? I think it's important to make the distinction that it was more untenable for the NHL. I mean, obviously by extension for the PA as well, but with too many games being postponed because of the COVID situation, it became clear by the end of December that there was no chance that they were going to be able to make up those games and have an Olympic break as well. Mm-hmm. And as more and more teams suffered outbreaks, it became so obvious to the league and to the schedule maker that they had to pull the plug. And I, I guess in some respects, it was good that they did it at that point, because and then at least we could get on with things. Countries and teams could make alternate plans to field the team for the games. And then you wouldn't have to go through the whole business of selecting the team and and really getting people excited, both players and fans, with the prospect of having the NHLers back in Beijing. At some point, really, by the end of December, it it had become unrealistic and and, and the NHL had pretty much no choice at that point. Who is making up these teams? And I I guess specifically, who's kind of making up the Canadian cohort in Beijing? Well, we haven't had the team uh, named just yet, but there's already sort of been some names circulating out there. And I think in a lot of respects, we'll see a, a similar team to what we saw in 2018 in Pyeongchang. And that'll mean guys, a lot of guys that are sort of American Hockey League type players or guys who have uh, are sort of in their 30s and their NHL years are behind them. Mm-hmm. So we'll see some some familiar names in, in that regard, guys that we've seen in the NHL. A couple of names that have already sort of leaked out there would be Eric Stahl, who's currently not playing, and, and a couple others that we've seen 
in the NHL before. But I think there's a couple names that have sort of emerged over the past couple of days that are at least intriguing. And one of them would be uh, Owen Power, the number one pick overall of the Buffalo Sabres, who we saw briefly at the World Juniors uh, in Edmonton before that tournament was scrubbed. Yeah. And another guy who was a top three pick, Mason McTavish, an Anaheim Ducks pick. So I think that would be really exciting, sort of a way to salvage some of the interest if we could at least get a couple of those top young prospects that were on the Canadian junior team and get a chance to showcase what they've got on the Olympic stage. Because as you guys know, many have suggested that why wouldn't we have the world juniors replicated at the Olympics? (laughs) Obviously, it's too late to do that right now. But going forward, it's probably not the worst idea. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, Canada in 2018, even when we weren't fielding a team of NHLers, we placed on the podium, but we finished out of the gold medal spot that we had won in 2010 and 2014. Who becomes the favorite in the tournament now? Does Canada, I imagine, is still a medal hopeful in the race, but does it change the calculus on who the top three teams might be? I think it alters it somewhat, and you know, probably based on what we saw in 2018 because the Russians won it. The Russians, or whatever we're calling them at these Olympics, will likely be sort of the early tournament favorite. But I would expect that Canada would be um, at least as competitive and probably more competitive this time around than they were in 2018. I mean, that team... I mean, I, I suffered through all of those games and they were, <laughs> they were hard to watch. You know, Willie Desjardins, God bless him. He's a junior hockey coach in BC right now. And hockey fans probably uh, remember him more as a coach of the Vancouver Canucks, but it seemed to be that he was over his head in, in that environment. And, mm-hmm. and the team never really responded to what he was trying to do. And there seemed to be a lot of disorganization right from the start. And you would hope that in an Olympic tournament like that, when you get a, a bunch of new guys together, that they would build momentum, that they would they would get better as the tournament moved along. Well, f- from what I was watching, they actually got worse and more disjointed the, the more they played. And, you know, you would hope that under Claude Julian, a guy with much more experience and a guy who's had some experience both at the international level and at, and at the highest level in, in the NHL, winning a Stanley Cup with Boston, that perhaps his team will be a little bit better equipped to be not just competitive, but to live up to its billing as as a probable favorite for the gold medal. The time between games isn't short. We're talking four years, and now this will be two games without NHL players there, and a player's prime only lasts so long. Are there Canadian players who haven't been able to go to the Olympics for whom this would have been their last crack at doing so? Yeah, Dave, there's two players that really stand out in my mind. And one would be Steven Stamkos, right? I mean, certainly one of the great players of his era, now a two-time Stanley Cup winner, captain of the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. In 2014, about a month before the Olympics, he broke his leg mm-hmm. and was, you know, he was going to be a leader of that team. He was going to be right alongside Sidney Crosby on the power play. He was going to, you know, help lead that team to a gold medal. 2018, he's denied because the NHLers don't go. 2022, he was not necessarily, like he wasn't going to be a guaranteed spot for Beijing, but he was uh, at least on the bubble and I think likely would have got his shot. And the other one would be John Tavares. Now, he was on the 2014 team, but suffered an injury very early into the game. So he never got to compete in the medal round and the playoff round of that. And mm-hmm. again, missed out on 2018 and again was on the bubble for 2022. So those two guys are the real heartbreaking stories, in my opinion. But now we've got to talk a little bit about Connor McDavid. Yeah. Is he still going to be in his prime four years from now? I think you would probably suggest that he would be. But, you know, here's a guy who will have missed out on two Olympic opportunities and by most people's estimation is one of the greats of the game right now, if not the greatest. And, you know, how unfortunate to not see Connor McDavid in the true prime years of his career 
on the Olympic stage. So yeah, I think that's one of the big stories of all this. The superstars that aren't going to get the opportunity to prove their superstardom. We'll be right back. It took a lot for the league and the players to agree to the break to allow NHLers to participate in the games again after not going in 2018. What does that decision not to go now potentially mean for 2026 in Italy? Is the league more likely to say, well, we did without the break in 2018, we shut her down in 2022. Let's not go to Italy. Let's not do the break. It's too much hassle. Do we have to go through that whole back and forth again four years from now? Man, I really hope not. And I would think that we won't go through that again because the union and the players really fought hard for it. They really wanted to be back on the Olympic stage. And I don't think they will give that up going forward. And I would hope that the league would at least acknowledge that these are extremely unfortunate and unique circumstances that, that caused this to happen. And my sense is that the players, when it, you know, when it gets time to, to bargain such things, that, that this is a, such a high priority for them that they won't let go of it. Now, what we might see in the interim is is the return of the World Cup of Hockey, uh, where we're, we get an opportunity to see, quote unquote, best on best again. That may be something that the league pushes for because they want the revenue associated with it. And that's their biggest beef about giving up their players for the Olympic break. But I think it's something that the players want so badly. You could you could see it in the disappointment from the NHL stars that aren't going, going to get to go this time that I don't see the union uh, relenting on that. And and man, let's hope that it comes back because it's going to be over a decade since we've seen Olympic hockey at the Olympics uh, between 2014 and 2026. For us in Canada and North America, hockey is huge. Hockey is huge in Russia. But the Olympics are also a major showcase for audiences in Europe and Asia who are more interested in skiing or speed skating or figure skating and, and other events like that. When it comes to the global reach of the Olympics, is the lack of NHLers as big a setback for the IOC as it is for the likes of us who just want to watch some really good hockey? You know, I think it is. You know, people that I've talked to, whether it be athletes or administrators or, you know, just people involved with the Olympic movement, you know, as much as having NHLers there may take away from the bobsled medalist or the speed skating medalist, these guys are such a hit in the Olympic village. I mean, other athletes want to get their pictures taken with the Wayne Gretzky's of the world back when he was in it or the Connor McDavid's if it, if it was this year. The star power that they bring, the allure that they bring, everybody wants to be associated with the hockey team. Everybody wants to be at the arena when the gold medal games or the playoffs are going on. From the NHL's perspective, they really uh, targeted China as an important game because they felt that it would be an opportunity to grow the sport, to grow hockey internationally and, and you know to, to grow it in a, in a country like China, with its population, that, that certainly had, had, a, had a fair bit of appeal. Mm -hmm. Since the NHLers have been involved in the Olympic movement, I think it's helped make hockey the showcase of the games, even for countries that aren't necessarily hockey nations. That's the way I'd put it. This is all happening under the shadow of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the decision for the league not to send players came before Omicron really took off in Canada and the U.S., and now we're seeing record cases in Canada, the U.S., and elsewhere. Could other sports be next? Like, is there a chance that you could see other sports or even other teams say, like, eh, we don't know about this whole Omicron variant. We don't want to risk it. We're not going to go. 
or are we kind of locked in with other sports going at this point? I think it's a complicated answer, like everything about this <laughs> Omicron strain. I mean, obviously things are changing so rapidly that I don't think you could give a definitive answer at this point. But by all indications, the IOC is determined to go through with this. Now that we're basically, you know, three weeks and change out, it's too late for the IOC to pull back at this point. I mean, barring a huge catastrophe. And I mean, obviously, that's not to diminish what's happening with this virus right now. I don't see any scenario where the games don't really go forward. But I do see scenarios where individual athletes and perhaps even individual countries decide to pull back. But, you know, I think that the the games would proceed much as boycotted games have proceeded with whatever athletes are able to attend or decide to attend. Mm -hmm. But it's such a moving target. Who knows? Like if we were having this conversation a week from now, we might have a completely different way of looking at it. On that note, obviously in Japan last year, they didn't allow spectators. They had people in a kind of a pseudo bubble, but it, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces to that. What is the IOC doing now to ensure the safety of athletes? This bubble is going to be as as serious a bubble as we've seen, I think, in any sporting situation. I've spent much of the last uh, 24 hours reading through the IOC playbook is what they're calling. And it's for athletes and media that are going over there. It's three weeks from, from now that I'm supposed to leave. And I think they're doing everything possible to to make it a, a safe environment. Now, Omicron may have other ideas. You know, it seems to be able to penetrate just about any situation. But the bubble there will be much more rigid than w- the one that was in place in Tokyo, from what I'm reading. And I would expect that the Chinese authorities over there and those affiliated with the games will enforce those measures even more stoutly than it was done in Japan. So the sense I'm getting from what I'm hearing from people and from what I'm reading is the biggest challenge right now is to get over there safe. Mm-hmm. And by safe, I mean get over there without the virus. And that's for <laughs> athletes, for for coaches, for administrators, for journalists. Getting over there and getting in that bubble is the biggest challenge. Once you're over there, I mean, all bets are off if it starts to spread. However, once you're over there, the way I'm reading it, it's going to be relatively safe. But the challenge is that the three to four weeks to get over there the Chinese are very, are very rigid on how they're um, allowing the flights to get in to China. You can only go in from five points around the world, five transfer points around the world. The post media team is going through, some of us are going through Paris, some of us are going through uh, Tokyo. Hmm. The only flights that are, are allowed into Beijing are purely Olympic flights. So in, a, anybody that is on that flight from Paris to Beijing will be an Olympic participant and fully accredited and fully vaccinated and will have had to have uh, passed uh, two PCR tests within 96 hours before boarding. So long story short, the measures that are in place are pretty strong. It's just a matter of getting there to be able to carry on with the games. You just said a couple minutes ago that the idea that, you know, trying to protect yourself before you go, because it's not like COVID is operating in a bubble (laughs) either, right? It's out there in Canada right now. I mean, what lengths are, are athletes going to to keep themselves safe in advance of the games. And I mean, even you, are you leaving your house for the next three weeks? I've started isolating now. They're recommending two weeks before you go. And I'm, I've added another week onto that. I mean, I'm going out of my house, but I'm, I'm just going for walks. I'm not going in, in any stores or anything like that. That's what most of the athletes are doing. I mean, we've, we've seen stories from various sports uh, of Canadian athletes uh, over the past couple of days where that's exactly what they're doing. One of the notable ones, our curling expert Ted Wyman wrote about yesterday, Brad Gushu, the uh, the Newfoundland curler. He's basically hunkered down in his home in Newfoundland with his with his wife and two children and not going anywhere. Uh, yeah. The Canadian figure skating championships are on this week, and, and some of the Olympic-bound athletes are 
actually pondering not competing in it, even though there's going to be no fans or, or no media in, in the arenas. So most athletes that are um, planning to go to Beijing are already in those protocols and they get really serious 14 days before you, you have to travel. And at that point, you have to basically log your health situation each day mm-hmm. on an app from the Chinese uh, organizers. But they're basically saying, yeah, you don't do anything between now and then because um, you fail a test, you're not getting on a plane. It's it's that simple. Back to hockey. One last question. When will we find out who will be taking the ice for Canada at the Olympics? I think over the next uh, week or so, we're probably going to start to hear more names announced prominently. But for now, the Canadian Olympic Committee has said that all teams will be finalized on, on, on January 24th, which seems like it's leaving it to the last minute. But I suppose it's the nature of the beast right now. I would expect we're going to hear more from Hockey Canada over the coming days because certainly players that are going have to get involved in those protocols that we just talked about. And at that point, why not announce who's going? But uh, it certainly seems to be quite quiet considering that the opening ceremony is less than a month away and the, and the, hockey, the men's hockey tournament begins on February 9th. So um, I would think over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start to get a much clearer indication of who's going to be competing for Canada over there. Well, I know as the, the Olympic uh, opening ceremonies creep closer, we'll be tuned to that story a little more closely. Rob, thanks for your time. Hey, my pleasure, Dave. 10-3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest Rob Longley. More from him at torontosun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.